1: Well, again, if you're a newcomer with us, we want to say a special welcome to you. So glad that you're here. We are continuing a series that we started back in August. We're working our way through the book of the Bible called Romans. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn them on. Turn them to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, if you have been tracking along with a notebook, we do have uh, January packets available, so if you want one of those right now, you can throw your hand in the air and somebody will bring you one, so uh, guys, go ahead and start passing those out. Um, Again, we have been working through line by line, verse by verse, the letter to the church in Rome, written by the Apostle Paul, and we are about halfway through, like there's 16 chapters, we're in chapter 8 today. Um, and I always want to keep reminding you that this is a letter. In other words, these are not disjointed thoughts and chapters. It all goes together. So if you want to get the most out of this series, like you got to go back and listen. You got to catch up because they all do build off of each other. We do have a sermon podcast. If you're a podcast person, you can download the sermon podcast. And I've heard that if you put me at 1.5 speed, it's like perfect. So you can get a sermon in 26 minutes. So you can do that if you're interested. Um, Today, we're going to jump into chapter 8. And as as we've done throughout this series, we're going to begin today by reading our text together. And so if you are able, I'd invite you to stand where you are, and we're going to read our text out loud today. And again, we're in Romans chapter 8, and we'll read verses 1 through 8. to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. Father, we are grateful for your word. I pray that it, as it is spoken over us today that you would use it to transform us, to make us into the image of your son Jesus. Thanks for our time together. Through Christ we pray. Amen. Please be seated. So again, today we are picking up where we left off and. It, If you're in the book of Romans, like chapter 8 is the goodest of the good news. Like this is the pinnacle. This is where, this is the, the Himalayas of the book of Romans. This is the good stuff. And it begins with this amazing phrase, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I got two people and the rest of you just try to tag along. Here's the reality, like you can bet that when this was read, when somebody read this letter out to the church of Rome the very first time, you can bet that when they got to this line, there was a yeehaw haw or whatever its Greek equivalent is like, like they, they got to this part and they were excited. They would have been celebrating this news way more than we are. Like I got two golf clubs and a yeehaw haw over here. Like that's. But but here's what I've said before. We don't really get excited about this good news because it kind of feels like old news. And it's a bit ho-hum for us. Like if I told you today, today you have won $10 million in the publisher's clearinghouse. Like, there you go, see? A fictitious thing that will not happen got you more excited than the reality that has already happened. But that's the thing, Right? because we get we get excited about that you would get excited about that like your heart rate would go up you'd tell people you'd go you you'd you'd smile and scream and celebrate and call those you love and tell them you're moving so that you'll never see them again like you would do you would get excited but we don't get excited about this even though this is way better news than you winning 10 million dollars and again. The reason, part of it is, another reason that we don't get excited is, again, because it kind of feels like old news. You already knew this. You already knew this. So old news, it's hard to make it feel like good news. Here's another issue. Another issue is that this good news for us has been really separated from the bad news that Paul has already told us. Again, if you were here at the beginning of this sermon series, like the first three months that we were going through it, it was like bad news. Like every week you were walking out like, holy Snikes, I don't like that guy and I don't want to go to church no more. Like it was, it was bad news. It was just Paul over and over telling us how sinful and evil and bad we are. It was bad news and we felt dejected by this bad news. But for us, that was back before Halloween. I mean, that's been a long time. Like, we're not feeling the weight of that bad news very much anymore. But for the people who are hearing this the first time in Rome, that was 15 minutes ago. Like, they were told how bad and awful and evil they were like 15 minutes before they get to this text. They were feeling all of the weight of that bad news before they got to this verse. And so when they got to it, it was like... Oh my goodness, I'm so glad there's finally some good news. Uh, here's Here's a third issue. I think it's really hard for us to get excited when we're told that there is now no condemnation. It's hard to get excited about there now being no condemnation when we've never really felt condemnation before. Like it's hard to feel good Get excited about being let off the hook when you never felt like you were on the hook to begin with. It was 15 years ago that my wife and I traveled to Prescott for the very first time. It was 15 years ago, and I was a young man then, and I came out to interview to become the pastor here at Quad City Christian Church. And part of that process is you go through multiple interviews and they bring you out and you preach a trial sermon and then the church gets to vote whether or not you're good enough for the job. And so that was what I was doing. So I was coming out to do my trial sermon. And when I did that trial sermon, I, I preached from this text, from Romans chapter 8, verse 1. and And I shared this verse and had about as much excitement from you as I had from them. Like They weren't excited about it either. And I, I, I made the same observation, that it's hard for us to get excited about being let off the hook if we never feel like we're on the hook. And so to help them understand the feeling of what it means to be on the hook and then let off the hook, I told a story. And it's a story that I want to share with you today. And the story relates to the time that I spent in jail. They were just as weirded out. Yes, I, the pastor of Quad City Christian Church, have spent some time in jail. No, it was not as part of a prison ministry. It actually started when I was in high school. Uh, When I got my driver's license, I was driving a 1980 AMC Concord. Yes, be jealous. I had a problem though that I got a lot of speeding tickets. It's hard to believe that, but most of the town was 25, so I could get 35. So I was—I would get these speeding tickets. And, and in Kentucky, where I grew up, you know, you get eight points against your license and then they want to suspend your license. So I had, I had racked up in my years of high school too many speeding tickets at one time. So by the time my senior year comes around, and I'm just a few weeks away from going to college, they are ready to suspend my license. Now, the AMC had already conked out. I was driving my amazing 83 uh, Toyota Corolla at that point and I'm saying to the judge I can't go to college with a suspended license so I'm begging the judge please don't suspend my license and the judge takes mercy on me somehow I'm in the judge's chambers we're not in a courtroom and I'm just begging him please don't take my license and he says look okay he says where are you going to college I said I'm going to college in Missouri and he said that's good news for you He says, here's what we're going to do. He's like, look, when you go to Missouri, if you get a speeding ticket, just pay the ticket. The good news about we don't transfer points. If you just pay it in Missouri, we'll never know it here. So just get your speeding tickets there and don't just pay them and we'll never know. And by the time you get through your four years of college, get all the tickets you want there. You'll have a clean record by the time you're done. So do that. Now I am gonna make you go to traffic school again. Like this is the third time. So you'll have to you have to go to traffic school and then just pay your tickets and then you'll have a clean record. Is that a plan? Yes, sir, that's so great. Okay, go. And so that was the plan and I was so relieved. So I go to Joplin, Missouri and I sign up and I go to the class and I sit through the traffic school again And I'm feeling good about my life because it's all behind me now. Till one day I'm driving down 7th Street in Joplin, Missouri. If you head north on 7th off of Range Line, there's this, this, um, this big, what's the word I'm looking for? You go down this hill and under these railroad tracks, okay? So it it cuts down really quick and then jumps right back up on the other side. And so as I turn and I'm heading down this hill, gravity yanks my car and drags me down the hill. And no sooner than I get to the bottom and I start to come back up the other side, there's a cop. So I come up out of that little viaduct and there he pulls me over. But I'm clean. I'm good. And so he comes, knocks, going to have your license, registration, do that. And then he walks back to his car and he... Hmm. And he walks back up and he says, "Uh, Mr. Price, I'm going to need you to step out of the car, please. Right? Never a good sign. Like, no, I'm comfortable right here. This is good. No. Step out of the car, please. He said, I don't know if you know this, but you are driving on a suspended license, and so I need you to put your hands on the car because in Missouri, uh, driving on a suspended license is an automatic arrest. And he put on some nice silver bracelets, and he gave me a ride. It was so He was so kind to give me a ride downtown. And I got my fingerprints, and I got my mugshot taken. I tried to go online and do one of those searches to find the mugshot. I couldn't find it, but it's somewhere in the Jasper County court system. My mugshot is on fire. And they stuck me in jail. And they stuck me in jail until I could post bond. And I was this was back before everybody had a cell phone, so I'm trying to call home because I'm a college student, I ain't got no money. And so I'm trying to get some money. My mother happened to be at a hospital because my brother was at surgery at the time, so bad timing for that. I end up being able to uh get a bales bondsman from Joplin to come let me borrow some money to get me out of jail but not after I had spent 6 hours in the drunk tank at the Jasper County jail so I get out of jail and I trying to figure out what happened where did what why did I get arrested and so luckily we have a family friend who's actually the the um, Commonwealth's attorney for the state of Kentucky. And so he has some pull and I call him up and say, hey, can you help me? I don't know what happened. They put me in jail and I tell him the story and he says, give me a minute and I'll figure it out. So he calls around and he learns that the people in Missouri who took my driver's, the, did the driver's education class, never sent the paperwork back to Kentucky to let them know before the deadline. And so I had to fax all of the stuff, all the paperwork back. Yes, there were faxes. And so I faxed it all back, and he squared it away for me, and they reinstated my license. Now, here's the problem. The day I was driving, I was still guilty of driving on a suspended license. So I still had to go to court and stand before the judge. So I go to the court, and I'm sitting there, and... The judge starts the session and there's 30, 40 people in there for all sorts of things. And and in his little intro telling us how this is going to work, he begins by saying, oh, and by the way, if you're here today for driving on a suspended license, you just need to know in the state of Missouri that comes with a mandatory sentence of, I don't remember if it was like three, five or 10 days in jail, whatever it was, there's a mandatory sentence of three, five, 10 days in jail. And I got scared. I'm like, I'm too pretty for prison. Like, I cannot, I cannot, I cannot spend a week in jail. Like, this is not going to end well for me. And so I'm sitting there and I'm scared to death. Because it's on the books. It's mandatory days in jail if you're guilty of driving on a suspended license. And so people go up and then finally it's my turn to stand up. And he says, state your name. What's your address? Here's your charge. How do you plead? Well, it was suspended. Well, I it wasn't supposed to be suspended because I went to traffic school and they forgot to send my paperwork in. And I don't, I'm too pretty for prison. Don't send me to jail. And I'm just like blubbering before the judge here. And he finally just stopped, like, stop. Okay, just chill. Hang on. He goes, Do you have a license with you today? Yes, sir, sir, yes, sir. Is it a valid license? Yes, sir, sir, yes, sir. And he picks up his gavel. And he hits the thing and says, case dismissed. Oh, like like the angels were singing, like I floated out of that courtroom. Because, by all legal rights, I was guilty. Like, sure, there was a mistake that somebody made, but on the day that I was driving in Missouri, I was driving on a suspended license. It wasn't their fault. It was mine. It, I was by all rights condemned. But yet he took mercy and he said, no condemnation. And I could not have been more excited. I was so excited. And, he, and again, here's the thing. No one gets excited about being let off the hook when they never felt like they were on the hook. I was on the hook. I was guilty. And then there was declared to be no condemnation for me. Romans 8.1 has no power to excite us when it says there's no condemnation unless we feel the weight of condemnation. We have to get Romans 8.1 and make sure that we keep it intact with what Paul's already told us about ourselves in Romans chapter 3 and Romans chapter 4 and Romans chapter 6. Let me remind you, there is no one righteous. You know who's included in no one? You are. No one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They together become worthless. There's no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their way in the way of peace they do not know. There's no fear of God before our eyes. This is what Paul said was true about all of us. We were guilty, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The glory of God was the standard, and none of us met it. We were all guilty of sin. And what consequence comes with being guilty of sin? For the wages of sin is death. That's what we earned through our sin, a condemnation to death. And we were all guilty. And we have to feel the weight of, oh my goodness, I have been rightly condemned to die because of my sin. And when you feel that weight, and then somebody rolls the scroll open a little more and gets to chapter 8 and then reads out loud, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. (sighs) Like, like a weight gets lifted. Like we should get excited about that. Now, this word now really matters. It really matters. Because what he says is true now wasn't always true. There was a time when we were all under condemnation. But it isn't true now. Something has changed. There are now those who are not condemned. But it is not a blanket statement for everyone. Therefore, there is now no condemnation. And here's here's the prerequisite for no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, those who are not in Christ Jesus, condemnation still stands. But for those who are in Christ Jesus, there is now no condemnation. We talked about this through chapter 6. All of us at one time were born in Adam. Every person on the planet born in Adam. But when we, when we come to faith in, in Christ, and as Romans chapter 6 taught us, and we confess our sin, we are baptized into him through faith. He says in that moment what happened was that we actually became a participant in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. And just as God raised Christ from the dead, we too are raised from the dead to the glory of God. We, in that moment, are actually placed into Jesus so that everything that is righteous and good and holy about Jesus then gets credited to us, which is why there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because all of his righteousness gets applied to us. Now, for those who haven't done that, who are still in Adam, the condemnation still applies. But for those who are in Christ Jesus, for those who are in Christ Jesus, there's no condemnation. Is it because of what we have done? Because we're gooder people? No. Because, back up one here, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Because through Christ Jesus, we who are in Him, we have been set free from the law of sin and death. And we have been given life by the Spirit. We have been set free from sin and death, just as Jesus was set free from sin and death. Paul continues. For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, God did. So God had sent a law, but the law was powerless to do something. And what was it that the law was powerless to do? It was powerless to make us righteous. It was powerless to make us holy. All of the law, and what I mean by law is all the commands of God, all the do this and don't do that, and thou shalt, and thou shalt not, and stop doing those and start doing these... All of the laws of God that are good and right and holy, that we know are good, he says God gave us the law, but the law was powerless to make us right with God. It was powerless to make us holy. There was a law that we couldn't follow. In fact, as we've talked about, the law just exposed how bad we really were. In fact, you learned things that you weren't supposed to do. And in learning it, it made you want to do it more. Okay, that's what he's talking about. The law could not make us holy. And and even if it did, even if it did, even if from this moment on, you fulfilled every law for the rest of your life and you never broke another command of God. The problem is it can't undo the laws that you've already broken. So think about it this way. Um. Imagine in your 20s, you rack up a lot of debt. You say $75,000 worth of debt. You bought a lot of clothes and went to a lot of parties and you got student loans and you bought a car. And all of a sudden, you turn 30 and you're like, oh my goodness, I have $30,000 worth of debt. And at 30, somebody comes along and says, hey, it's not wise to get into debt. You probably shouldn't do that. And you say, oh my goodness, I didn't know that. From this moment forward, I will never get in debt again. I will never, not a penny of debt for the rest of my life. You could follow that law for the rest of your days and it does nothing to fix the fact that you're already $75,000 in debt. It can't change it. That's us. We already had a huge amount of debt before we ever even knew that we were in debt. And is it the law's fault? No. The law is good. It's it's us who are the problem. Because we are in our flesh. And our flesh has been weakened by sin. Our flesh is weak. It isn't that our flesh is evil. It's just weak. And our flesh wants what it wants. And it searches for pleasure. And it searches for purpose. And it searches for satisfaction. in everything in this world outside of God. The flesh wants what it wants, and even when the flesh knows what is right, it doesn't even give us the power to do what is right. And thus we never are able to live up to God's standard. But here's the good news. What the law is powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did. The law was powerless to do it, but God did something. God showed up. God acted. God moved. God did what we could not do for ourselves or what the law couldn't do for us. And what did the law do? What did God do? What the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. God sent His Son to die in our place, to pay off our debt. What are the wages of sin? The wages of sin is death. And God sent His Son to pay off our debt. To pay off the debt of our sin, which is death. God sent his son to pay it on our behalf. God did that. He sent his son. God acted on our behalf. And so he condemned sin in the flesh. God can sin, I'm sorry. God condemned sin in the flesh by sending his son into the flesh. Sin, which once condemned us, God turns around and says to sin, I condemn you. God condemned sin in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us so that we could actually obtain the full righteousness of God. He fulfilled the righteous requirement of the law in us. That requirement is fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. When we got out of Adam and we came into Jesus, What he says also happened in that moment is we, in that moment, no longer lived according to the flesh, but we began to live according to the spirit. Everybody who is in Adam can only live according to the flesh. But those who are in Christ Jesus now live by the power of the spirit. Adam, we're all born in the flesh, but we have to be reborn in the Spirit of God. And he says, the righteous requirement of the law to live up to the glory of God cannot be fulfilled when you live in the flesh, but it gets applied to us who live according to the flesh, I'm sorry, according to the Spirit, because we are in Christ Jesus. So not only did he take away the consequence of our sin. He actually credited righteousness to our account. All of the righteousness of Christ is credited to me. Why? Because I am in Jesus. And this dichotomy of flesh and spirit, Paul's going to talk about over the next few weeks of our time in Romans. And he begins to help us understand what the difference is between living in the flesh and living in the spirit. Let me quickly give you a couple of them from our text. He says, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live according to the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. So here's, he says, look, you want to know if you're in the flesh or if you're in the spirit, here's the first place to think. Where does your mind go? Is your mind focused on the things of the flesh? Or is your mind focused on the things of the spirit? The thing the flesh desires or the thing the spirit desires? If you had to pie chart your thought life, does more of your thought life fall into the category of the things of the flesh, the things of this world, or more of the things of God, the spirit of God, eternal things? Now, we should not be surprised to hear that God wants us to change our thoughts. Like this is a command. Paul writes it this way. Set your minds on things above, eternal things, not on earthly things. For you have died. Why would you think about all the stuff that goes on with this? You're not here anymore. You have died to all of this. You are resurrected into Jesus and and your life is now hidden with Christ or with God. I'm sorry, with Christ and God. Like this is you now. Why would you spend all of your life thinking about this stuff? So we there ought to be a change in the things that are going into our minds. Paul gives us a filter to begin running our thoughts through. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. So he gives us a list of, things, of ways to filter our thoughts. Is this thought that's coming into my mind, is it true? Is it noble? Is it right? Is it pure? Is it lovely? Is it admirable? Is it excellent? Is it praiseworthy? If the answer to any of these is no, it's not those things, then it's probably something we shouldn't be dwelling on. If the answer is no, it's probably something we shouldn't be seeing. It's probably something we shouldn't be sharing. Probably something we shouldn't be scrolling or saving or singing. Because those who have their minds set on what the Spirit desires, think about the things of God. What you think about, Reflects how you live. Those who live according to the flesh set their minds on what the flesh desires. Those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. What we think, what we believe, the things that we're ingesting changes how we live. And he says that's a great reflection to help you understand whether or not you're living in the flesh or in the Spirit. He continues. The mind governed by the flesh is death. But the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. Now, when you see this word death and life here, do not think about our physical death and life right now. This is not about whether you're in the coffin or out of the coffin. How do we know that? Well, because everybody in here is alive, right? I think. Tap your neighbor, make sure. The mind governed by the flesh is death. But everybody here is alive. We're not talking about this kind of physical death right now. So if they're governed by the the flesh right now, they're still alive. And it doesn't matter if every day for the rest of your life, your mind is governed by the spirit, you're still going to die. You're still going to exit this life. Like you're not living to 121. So we know that it's not about just this physical realm. When he's talking about this, it's not about what happens in this life. It's on the other. When you see that word death, it's the biblical word for perish. It's like you're out, you're done. Eternal damnation, condemnation, death. This life is about eternal. Eternal. It's about eternal life. So read it in that context. The mind governed by the flesh is death. If your mind is governed by the flesh here, you're going to die, perish forever. But the mind that governed by the spirit is life and peace. Forever. So again, are we we in the flesh or are we in the spirit? If your mind is governed by the flesh, it's going to die. You're going to die. You're going to perish. But if it's governed by the spirit, there will be life. And why? Because the mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. That's why it's going to eternally die, because it's hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. But those who are in the realm of the flesh, Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It is at enmity with God. It is fighting a war against God. It is not at peace with God. It is not neutral. It is at war with God. Why? Because it refuses to submit to God. It refuses. And that's not going to end well. And don't miss this. That mind, that mind that is hostile to God, it says cannot please God. Note it doesn't say it will not please God or does not please God. It said it can't please God. It isn't possible for a mind governed by the flesh to please God. It can't. To which maybe you're thinking, well, I know a lot of people who are not followers of Jesus. They've not surrendered to God. Are you Pastor, are you trying to tell me that nothing they do pleases God? That there's no good in them? That there's nothing to admire? No good that we can attribute to them? You're saying everything they do is bad or evil? Is that what you're saying? There's a pastor named J.D. Greer who gave a great illustration to, to help us understand why it is that those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. He said, imagine you have, you have an army and out of that army, a breakaway group of traitors begins their own army. So you have this rebel army who decides to rebel against the king and to fight against the rightful king. And in this band of enemy army full of traitors, there is one soldier And this soldier is articulate and he is wise, he is hardworking and he is humble and he sacrifices on behalf of his fellow soldiers and he's always respectful and obedient to his commanding officers and he shows up early and he stays late and he does everything to perfection and he gives 100% always, has a great attitude and is willing to do whatever it takes to win the battle. Like those are all attributes we would look at and say, we want that in in everyone. We want all of our soldiers to have those attributes. Those are great attributes. Those are good, right, holy, admirable attributes. The problem is, all of those things are being done, used, those gifts are being utilized to wage war against the king. All of those are, are, are in a person's life who's, dedicated in hostility to the king. No matter how good that rebel soldier is, he's an enemy of the king. This guy is in a traitorous army. No matter how good he is, you would never expect the king to look at him and commend him for his goodness. Because he's living as a traitor. You would never expect the king to be pleased with him because he has admirable traits while living in rebellion. As long as the enemy soldier is in the enemy camp fighting for enemy causes, no matter how good he might possibly be, he can never please the king. He will only experience the king's condemnation. Never the king's commendation. Until and an if, He submits, He surrenders, He lays down His arms and repents. And so it is with us. No matter how good anybody is in the flesh, they cannot please God because in the flesh we are all God's enemies. We are hostile to God. But again, today is the good news. And the good news is there is a way out. And the way out is when you died to the flesh and you were reborn into the Spirit, you are now in Christ Jesus. Not because of something you did, but what He did. That God sent His Son to die in our place to to pay the penalty of our sin because of what He did. We now are invited into Christ. That we can now be in him, which brings us back to this glorious place of good news for those who are in Christ Jesus. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And every one of us, every one of us are invited here. All we have to do is lay down our weapons and surrender to the King of Kings and the Lord of Kings and all of the righteousness of Christ gets
0: applied to us.
1: And My hope today is that if you've never felt on the hook, I feel I pray you feel on the hook today. You feel the weight of being condemned so that you can feel the amazing glory of this declaration that in Christ there is no condemnation. And that you, for those of you who are in Christ, that you walk out of here today Feeling no condemnation. And you float out of this room like I floated out of that courtroom. Because even though you're guilty. The king, the judge, God Almighty has picked up his gavel and declared no condemnation for you. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful. that This promise is true that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And we want to celebrate that today, to feel the relief of that today. Do your work in us, Holy Spirit. Through the power of Jesus we pray. Amen.